0: Welcome to Cascades Bible Church. Over the course of history, there have been a number of titles used to describe the man of God or the men of God, as Paul refers to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. Uh, these are the men that are charged with the oversight of the local church. So throughout church history, they've been referred to as bishops, presbyters, um, preachers, clergymen, rector... In some church circles, minister, all these different titles for um, the man of God. But the title that outshines them all in its usefulness and its imagery, I think, is the title of shepherd. The title of shepherd. which, of course, as we know, shepherd is is really the meaning the of the Latin term that we get our word pastor. It is a title used to describe the man of God that's and it's a title that's gone virtually uh virtually unblemished throughout the centuries in the sense that it's a term that doesn't hasn't been vacated of all of its meaning in certain circles. Charles Jefferson, in his great resource on the minister as Shepherd, says it is. The one title, Shepherd is, that is prized and reverenced in every fold of the great flock of Christ. Pastor, he says, is a name which gives no offense. In this ancient title, the Church of Christ is beautifully united. Like the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments, it is a treasure which no company of Christian people is willing to let go. End quote. And I think maybe the reason the title Shepherd has Um, been able to avoid some of the baggage that so many other titles that we give to uh, church leaders over the centuries is because the reason it's kind of been able to avoid all that baggage is because it draws our mind back to the Lord Jesus himself. Um, When we hear the word shepherd, most of us, we don't necessarily think about fallen men, but we think about the Lord Jesus. We think about Christ he never called himself a preacher, per se. He never ever referred to himself as a, as a bishop or a presbyter or a clergyman or a rector. He never even referred to himself as a priest, even though the Scripture tells us he is our great high priest. But he often thought of himself, Jesus did, and referred to himself as a shepherd. In fact, he says it explicitly in John 10, verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd. Uh, This shepherd motif is all throughout Scripture. Early in Israel's history, the word shepherd was used as a precious picture of the relationship that Yahweh, God, had with his people. Um, David so poetically says in Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. We We know that well. We've known that even from a young age, many of us. Psalm 80, verse 1 says, Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, referring to God, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, he says, shine forth. The term was not only used of God to refer to himself as the shepherd or the shepherd of Israel, but it also describes those on earth who had a responsibility over the physical and spiritual well being of the nation of Israel. We see this in the Old Testament, and we've been looking at that in a little bit of detail in our equipping hour. Priests were referred to as shepherds in some ways. Those who had spiritual charge over the people were the priests, and God indicts them for their lack of care in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 to 3. This is that Ezekiel speaking for God, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Referring to the, the religious authority, the priests. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. So, Here in this text, God himself refers to the priests in Israel as shepherds. They were unfaithful shepherds, but they were shepherds nonetheless. Prophets in the Old Testament were referred to as shepherds. In the end of Numbers in chapter 27, as Moses is about to hand off leadership to Joshua over the nation of Israel, he says this, May the Lord God, the Spirit... May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, this is Moses speaking, who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And in the subsequent verses there, he identifies Joshua as that man who would fill Moses' shoes as the prophet who would lead Israel as their shepherd on earth. Kings were referred to as shepherds, not just priests and prophets, but kings. David, Psalm 78, 70 to 72 says, He also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from the care of the ewes, with suckling lambs. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. So, So uh, God always is referring in the Old Testament to various leaders who had spiritual care over the people, whether they were priests in one context or prophets called of God or even Israel's king, David. They were all servants of the Lord and viewed as shepherds underneath the chief shepherd, God himself. But as we know from Israel's history, earthly shepherds disappoint. Earthly shepherds fall Short. And so the Israelites always were looking, always anticipating that future shepherd, the one who would be the ideal shepherd, we know him as the Messiah, the one who would ultimately shepherd the people in perfect righteousness, not feeding himself, not neglecting the people entrusted to his care, but tenderly, wisely, and faithfully overseeing God's flock. Uh, and uh, we see Him, of course, the Messiah is referred to and and taught in so many, so many passages. But if you look at Ezekiel uh, chapter 34 again, which is a a powerful chapter, uh, the prophet indicting those priests and those shepherds over Israel for their lack of faithfulness says in verse 22, therefore I will deliver my flock, this is God speaking, and they will no longer be a prey and I will judge between one sheep and another. And then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. He's referring to the descendant of David, according to the promise given to David, that one would reign on the throne. This is the Messiah. He would be the one shepherd who will rise up, and he will shepherd his people. If you look at Micah chapter 5, and verse 2, he says, But it's for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So we know that that's referring to um, the Davidic king. But in verse five he says, or verse four, he says, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one, meaning the Messiah, will be our peace. When, his, when the Assyrian invades our land and when the tramples our citadels, then we will raise, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders of men. The idea is that there is a there is one shepherd who is coming who will reign supreme. And so this picture of, of God's representatives on earth in the Old Testament, we see them described as shepherds. This portrait, again, continues in the New Testament of the Messiah as the shepherd of Israel. And that's what hangs in front of Jesus' statement in John 10 where he says, I am the good shepherd. He's, he's referring to those messianic passages and he's saying, I am this shepherd. I am this shepherd, God in human flesh now, dwelt among his people, and with those words, he confirmed that he was the one who would bring security to God's people. He is the one who would bring freedom from sin's oppression. He was the one who would feed and lead God's people. And Jesus used lots of metaphors to describe himself on his preaching and teaching, but perhaps the one that stands out the most is his description of himself as The shepherd, the good shepherd. And just as he chose this title of shepherd for himself, he also has given that title to his appointed representatives. Look with me at John chapter 21. At the end of Jesus' life and ministry here, as he's about to return to the glories of heaven after the resurrection, in John 21 and verse 15, he, uh, he appears to Peter, and they're eating, and so when he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you Love me. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus responded by saying, Tend my sheep. Charles Jefferson says again, the history of the church begins with Jesus saying to the leader who was to heal, who was to heed the works of discipling the nations. He says, I am a shepherd, you be a shepherd also. So this is our responsibility. God has given men on earth, his representatives in the church, the responsibility as a shepherd. Peter, from this point forward, looked over the flock of God with that heart, that mindset, as a shepherd the good shepherd had found him and commissioned him to carry out the work of caring for the sheep. And then, of course, if you look at Peter as he writes later on in his life and ministry in First Peter five verses two to four, he says, "Shepherd," he's speaking to the men, his fellow elders, "shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight." Not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid of gain, but with eagerness. Not as yet lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the good shepherd is coming back, and in the meantime, he has delegated the care of flock to his under shepherds. Tasking him with this responsibility of caring for the sheep and the responsibility that an elder or pastor shepherd—it's all the same title, referring to the same office, different ways of referring to the same office. The responsibility we have as shepherds is great; it's tremendous. It's it's a huge responsibility, and we take it seriously. Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse seventeen says that we will have to give an account for those entrusted to our care. Um, James 3 verse 1 says that shepherds will be scrutinized with a stricter judgment. They will be held to a higher standard uh, for what they preach and teach and do. And because elders have a delegated authority to shepherd souls of men and women in the local body, we're to be thoroughly examined before we even have an opportunity to serve in that capacity, that we might have demonstrated a consistency of life and utmost character and maturity and knowledge of the scriptures so as to be able to discharge that responsibility with faithfulness, with trustworthiness. And we see that laid out in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. There are, there are character qualities that must be true of a shepherd. Anything that falls short, disqualifies that man for that responsibility. The shepherds of God's flock, the church, are held to an incredibly high standard. We have a tremendous obligation to Christ, the chief shepherd, and we we take that seriously. But the church also has responsibilities as well as sheep. Not only do the under-shepherds have an obligation to the chief shepherd, but the sheep have an obligation to the under-shepherds whom God has placed over them in the local body. Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, or the, um, really the, uh, how they walk, imitate their faith. In other words, you have an obligation to follow us as we follow Christ, as we follow Christ. There's a, there's a sense in which we should be walking and conducting ourselves in such a way that our lives are imitatable, because they look, at least to some degree, like Christ and the chief shepherd. So we're, the sheep have an obligation to imitate that. In chapter 13, again in verse 17, the beginning of verse 17 He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So the sheep have an obligation to place themselves under the spiritual care of faithful shepherds. And then in the end of verse 17, he tells us why. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for who? For you. In other words, as you submit to and follow faithful shepherds, that is profitable for your spiritual well-being. So this is God's optimal design for the church. Under shepherds submitted to the chief shepherd and the sheep placing themselves underneath the under shepherds in the church. This is the pattern of the New Testament church. Um, And this is the pattern of the church which God has promised to build that he's promised in Matthew 16, verse 18, that the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Like we said in each of our previous messages, no physical force can thwart the church's advance. No spiritual force can stand in the church's way. And if we're going to be that kind of a church, we must look to the word of God as our guide. We have to ensure that we are partnering with the Lord Jesus in his work to build the church and not trying to do it our own way not trying to do it in our own strength. And the Word of God, we've said, has laid out a number of commitments that we have to make if we're going to be a church that prevails against the gates of Hades itself. The first commitment, which we outlined a couple of weeks ago, was expository preaching and dynamic teaching. The second um, is a lifestyle of worship, and we saw that in detail last Sunday. And this morning, I want to add a third commitment and that is deliberate shepherding. Deliberate shepherding. So this has to be a commitment of our church if we're going to be the kind of church that Christ blesses. God has purposed that the church which he builds be overseen by faithful shepherds who discharge that responsibility under the watchful eye of Jesus Christ himself. And so he's purposed that the flock then submit themselves to the plurality of godly shepherds for their own and the church's spiritual benefit. Listen, all we like sheep have gone astray, including me and everybody else. So uh, we wander as sheep. This is what we do. Uh, We can't find food for ourselves. Sheep are vulnerable to predators. When the local church then isn't cared for by faithful, loving Shepherds, the flock, wanders away from the truth. They become spiritually lean and sickly. They become vulnerable to the enemy, and eventually that flock dies off. But when the flock is under the deliberate care of devoted shepherds, that flock thrives. That flock will grow. And Cascades Bible Church is committed to deliberate shepherding because this takes the church and allows it To thrive under God's enablement. So, a handful of points that I just want to bring to the foreground to help us understand this whole idea of deliberate shepherding. I think we have four in our outline this morning. The first is this our church is committed to deliberate shepherding, one, because the flock thrives when they're known. The flock thrives when they are known. Um, Jesus said in John 10, verse 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. He says, I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus, as the chief shepherd, knows his sheep and they know him. So the under shepherds, like manner, must know the sheep and the sheep must know him. That opens up a number of important questions for us as we just think about this. Well, which sheep are the elders, are we as elders, responsible for and accountable for? Are we responsible for every sheep in every flock? Um, Conversely, what shepherds are you accountable to? Whom do you follow? Are you accountable to any elder in any church, or is it more specific than that? So, So on a macro level, the issue is identification, The issue becomes identification. The New Testament pattern makes it clear that particular shepherds are responsible for particular sheep in a particular location. In Titus 1, verse 5, Paul says, appoint elders in every town. In other words, the church in that location was responsible for the believers in that location and the believers in that location were accountable to those elders and not across the board. In James 5, verse 14, when those who are sick are to, are, set, are instructed to call for the elders, that they would come and pray for them, it assumes that those elders know the person who's calling and that that person knows them. Again, it's one of specific instruction, specific care and deliberate shepherding. 1 Peter 3 says we are to... Uh, given accounting for those entrusted to our care. That word for entrusted to your care is the word for apportioned, something that's given to you. It's a definable inheritance, a definable lot that belongs to you in the sense of that you will be held accountable for. So all of these on a macro level uh, under, help us understand why um, church membership is biblical and important. Um, Membership isn't just a bookkeeping thing. It's not a bookkeeping matter. It's a shepherding matter. It's a shepherding matter. It's about identifying who are the sheep and who are the sheep that the Lord has entrusted to our care. To our care. So on a macro level, it's one of identification. Uh, But on a micro level, uh, it has to do more with being known personally. So in the macro sense, the sheep are known when they're identified, but it, it's more than that. The sheep are known when they're known personally, known personally. In 1 Peter 5.3, Peter speaks those allotted to our charge. So it captures the idea of specificity. The shepherd of God's flock should know the sheep personally, personally their history, their occupations, their habits, their ways of thinking, their struggles, their victories, right? We've been memorizing that in, first, uh, in Romans 12, where he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And we have to know those things. Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty 29, Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? This is, this is the heart of a shepherd who knows his sheep. And that's our commitment. That's our commitment as well. We're not perfect at it by far, but that is our desire, and that has to be the heart of anybody who would occupy that responsibility in this church. They must love people and want to know and shepherd the people personally. And for me... And for son and others who do that work, whoever they may be in the future, that means that you also have an obligation to open up to us. It works both ways. It cuts both ways. Just as you need to open up your heart and life in order to know others, you have to do the same to be known. To be known. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, He says in verse 13, he says, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. In the previous verse, he says, you're not restrained by us. You are restrained in your own affections. It is a call for the Corinthians to let down their guard and to let themselves be known. To let themselves be seen and and cared for and shepherded. Christ church is committed to deliberate shepherding because the flock thrives when they are known. Secondly, we're committed to deliberate shepherding because the flock thrives when they are led. When they are led. We live in a... Our culture has just become very hyper-individualistic. It has and we have to understand and take a step back and recognize we are, in some ways, the product of our culture. It influences us. And a mindset of absolute radical individuality leads to Judges 21-25, everyone doing what is right in his or her own eyes. But God has established authority over us in every sphere of life. We understand that. Parents have a responsibility over their children to shepherd and care for them and to provide and train them up in the way that they should go, Proverbs says. In the workplace, we have responsibilities to manage those below us and others to, who manage us. The supervisors, we submit to authority in the workplace. We submit to authority in the government and leaders, and Paul instructs us to be mindful of that Everywhere we go, we're under some kind of authority. It's just reality. Even though we don't like to admit it, we, 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 this is God's design. Um, without it, it would be chaos. It's no different in the church. It's no different in the church. The church becomes a place where God's people have to learn to submit to authority. Hebrews 13, verse 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. As those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. In other words, the church is to be led by faithful shepherds, and we are to shepherd and care for souls. Before we go any further, we need to clarify that the authority that we have as shepherds is not absolute. It's not absolute authority, only Christ has absolute authority. He says that in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me. <laughs> so that kind of settles it. Jesus has all authority. So the authority that he gives to us as shepherds in his church is a delegated authority, which means we answer to God who delegates it to us. And we, we studied that a few, um, maybe a month and a half ago in 1 Corinthians 3, where he he says, you know, we you will give in, a, or in chapter 4, he says, you, you know, He says it is a small thing for me to be examined by you or any human court because the one who examines me is God. Paul is just reiterating that uh, reality that we have a delegated authority. We don't exercise absolute authority. Our authority is given to us by God and it is governed by his word. It is governed by his word. Where the word of God speaks definitively, we can speak definitively. Where it does not, We cannot. And so Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 5, verse 2, that our leadership is to be servant leadership. It is to be not heavy-handed. It is not to be begrudging, but instead is to be compassionate, patient, humble, and filled with joy. So shepherds are to lead, and believers are then called to follow godly leaders, in what way, then, do we as shepherds lead? It's important to think about that because that's our point here. The, th- the flock thrives when they're led. Well, first, we lead by setting a godly example by our lives. The way we order our lives, conduct ourselves, we speak. We lead God's people by setting a godly example. That's why he says imitate those who in their faith. Uh, secondly, shepherds lead by charting the path forward for the church the local body. Um, that's why as a church, we're not a congregational-led church in the sense we don't put everything to a vote. Um, when we have to make a decision about this or that, um, God has tasked us with sh- as shepherds to chart the path forward. He's Hopefully, we've demonstrated ourselves to be godly and wise and therefore capable of making decisions to lead the church forward. Now there are a few exceptions to, you know, calling obviously a pastor into a church. I think that's part of our bylaws. That's what we vote on. But other things like, you know, whether or not we're going to do this ministry or do that or, you know, we don't or, you know, we're going to accept this budget or whatever. We don't put that to a vote and that's intentional because we have the responsibility of of leading the church forward and charting the path forward. Secondly, uh, thirdly, shepherds lead by their public exhortation to obey God's word through their preaching and teaching. And so as I preach and as son preaches and teaches and as we have opportunity to instruct, we lead the church by our explanation and exhortation to obey God's word publicly. And then lastly, shepherds lead by their private exhortation for the sheep to obey God's word, in the terms, in reality of counsel and applying the scriptures, we admonish the unruly, we encourage those who are faint-hearted, we help and build up and encourage those who are weak. And That is part of our ministry. It's not just public, and that's where guys get in trouble, whereas they think their ministry is all public and not private. It's both. It's both. We help people apply the word of God specifically in their context. This is what deliberate shepherding entails. And we do that not for our own glory and not for to make a name for ourselves or to control people or anything like that. It's He says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. It is for your benefit because to not have that is unprofitable for you. I can say specifically that the places where I've had the privilege of being shepherded in my Christian walk have been the places of greatest spiritual maturity and growth for my own life. And those men weren't perfect, and they made mistakes, and they didn't always live up to everything that they preached and taught, and yet they cared for my soul. They cared for my wife's soul. And in so doing, they led us into greater obedience and faithfulness. And I'm thankful for that. It's profitable for you to be led and shepherded. This allows the church to thrive. That's why we're committed to it. Thirdly, we're committed to deliberate shepherding because the flock thrives when they're fed. When they're fed. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or suffer lack is really the term. He leads me beside green pastures. We know that psalm so well. and We don't even stop to think about what he's saying there. Philip Keller in his book on Psalm 23 says, green pastures are essential to the success of sheep. They have to be diligently led to fresh green pastures all the time, otherwise they will eat the grass down to the nub and begin to starve for a lack of fresh food. They don't naturally go looking for food. It's a fitting um, warning for us as pastors and as shepherds. What food are we feeding the flock? Matthew 4, verse 14 says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we believe that. As shepherds, we guide the sheep to the green pastures of the scriptures. That's our job. It's the spiritual food that nourishes. It's the spiritual food that satisfies the believer's soul. My responsibility is, as a pastor, as a shepherd with the with the privilege of being able to preach and teach every week is to serve up the truth of scripture to the flock as faithfully and as completely as I possibly can. and, and that's it. Like I've said many times before, you don't come here to hear me harangue about all. That's going on in the world or politics or anything like that. Because for me, my job is to feed the flock. That's my job. A number of years ago, way back when, many moons ago, when I was about to get married, I had a good friend who was also engaged. And uh, he decided before the wedding, uh, he had a few extra pounds he wanted to shed. And so he went on a crash diet several months before the wedding. And uh, his idea of dieting was to just basically not eat. <laughs> That's what he did. I and mean, he ate so little for s- several weeks there. I don't recommend that. That's not a good way to uh, get yourself in shape there. But this is what he did. But the thing is, the dramatic, uh, the transformation that happened in his uh, appearance was dramatic. I mean, in a matter of weeks, he dropped that weight fast. Why? He had no nourishment. <laughs> he just wasn't. I mean, he was drinking like crystal light and, uh, you know, just basic things to keep himself vertical. There was no nourishment. And so it is with the Word of God. When the shepherds don't feed the Word of God to their people, the church becomes spiritually emaciated. It, it, uh, the health of that church is eventually compromised and it begins to die off from the inside out. And I, I fear, I do fear that many churches have gone that direction. They, they are not feeding their people the truth. And the churches are dying from the inside out. Jesus told Peter in John 21, feed my sheep. That has to be our commitment as a leader, as a shepherd. It's why we have a quipping hour. It's why we have small groups for our women. It's why I preach and teach for so long every week it's why almost everything we do has some instructional component children's church even in the nursery will take up songs and teach the kids songs and hymns and go through books that teach them the scriptures why because we want to constantly challenge and encourage people to know the Word of God and to know it better to be fed and my job is to is to not only Feed you, but to teach you how to feed yourselves throughout the week so that you can come not starved and emaciated on the Lord's Day, but can come in ready to learn and to grow. This is so important. The church thrives when they are fed. Fourth, we're committed to deliberate shepherding because the flock thrives when they're protected. The church, the flock. Thrives when they're protected. They are known when they're uh, protected. When they're fed, when they're led, and when they're protected, they thrive. And Matthew, I mean, see me, uh, not Matthew. Acts twenty in verses t- uh, twenty-eight to thirty. Paul says this as he's leaving Ephesus. In verse twenty-eight, he says, "Be on guard for yourselves." He got the leaders of. Ephesus, the church in Ephesus together, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things, seeking to draw away the disciples after them. So part of our responsibility is to protect the flock. Christ under shepherds protect the sheep. And that's because as sheep, we're vulnerable animals. I read one account of a shepherd, an actual shepherd in Turkey, 2009. He had a whole huge flock of sheep. And one of the sheep went off a cliff. And then another, and then another 1,500 sheep went off this man's cliff. The report concluded in the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned. I mean, that's a fitting example of what sheep do. God's people are like Sheep, we wander into danger, and we are captivated by false teachers and false teaching. It happens sometimes, not because we're in rebellion, but because of ignorance. Because we're not seeing everything from maybe we're just new Christians, and we don't have that level of discernment to understand false from true. We don't have a, a comprehensive framework to to fit different things that are being taught, and so. We get led astray. And God has placed shepherds over the church to guard and protect the flock, and we take that seriously. We know from John 10 that our ultimate protection is God. Uh, We're not, by any stretch, um, claiming that kind of uh, power, but the security and the protection we enjoy is ultimately through the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus. In John 10... Going back to that, that kind of well-known passage in chapter 10 and verses 11 to 15, we are reminded that our, our ultimate protection comes from Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. He says, but I, Jesus, am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I will give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is given to me them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. So, so that's a great promise that we belong to Christ, and no one or no force, nothing could ever pull us out of that place of protection, because we are in Christ. This is the same thing he says in John 17 and Ephesians 1 that it's like we sang about the what he has begun in us, he will perfect and bring to the day. Of completion. We we believe that. But God doesn't just ordain, ordain the ends, He ordains the means. And one of the primary, not the only, but the primary means by which God's people are protected and guided through faithfully to the end is through the deliberate shepherding of loving pastors. And this is important: the loving shepherding of our fellow brothers and sisters in the church. In other words, you have a part to play in this as well. It's primarily our responsibility as elders, but every one of us has a responsibility and a capability of shepherding one another toward maturity. If you look at Romans 15, in verse 14, Paul says, I myself am convinced that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. In other words, we all bear this responsibility to watch out for and protect others. When one falls into sin, we are to go and to call their sin out. After looking to our own hearts first and foremost, we begin by looking at our own hearts, and then when we've dealt with anything that we need to deal with, we go to our brother or sister, and we point out their sin, and we call them to act to God's standard. And if that doesn't work, we, we go two or three will come and confront that sin. And if there's still a hardened, unrepentant heart, that sin is, is brought to the church, and the church calls that person to repentance and to obedience, And if that person still is hardened in their sin, they are put out of the church. They're put out of the church for the purity of the church and for the witness of the church and for that person's soul that they would know that they have no confidence, they can have no confidence in their profession of faith. But the motivation is always one of protection and sacrificial love. Christ laid down his life for the sheep. And there is no greater love than what Christ did for us. As a shepherd, then, we must be willing to say the hard things and do the hard things. We recognize that. I'm give you many examples over the years, but one that comes to mind is from many years ago. We were part of a Bible study with a lot of single people. And there was a young woman there, godly young woman, a uh, little younger than us, and she was captivated by this young man in our Bible study who was relatively new. And over the course of um, several months, it became clear to us that this man basically was part of some kind of cult. He believed a completely different understanding of the gospel, basically taught that you had to do these things to be saved. Um, and he flew under the radar for several months and... Uh, of course, in that meantime, he had befriended this gal, and he was. Um, they, things were moving along, and they, she was just enamored with him, and she thought he was going to be, you know, her prince charming. They were going to get married, and the whole deal. And uh, and when it became clear that this man wasn't a Christian, and this young man was actually preaching a false gospel, um, we had to go to her and to tell her, like, you need to you need to understand what he said and what he believes and he's not a Christian. And and we know that you are, you need to be, you need to end this relationship. This needs to stop until he either repents and acknowledges what it means to be a Christian or something. And, and that was a hard thing to do. That wasn't something she wanted to hear. She got angry. She, she denied it. She said, no, that's not true. That's not what he believes. And, and we pleaded with her. We said, go talk to him. Talk to his family, because this is kind of a family thing. Sure enough, she finally sat down, talked to him, asked him some very specific and open questions, and he acknowledged everything we had said. Everything. And she, she left that meeting. I remember she called me up the next day while she was on her run, and she said, thank you. Thank you for being willing to tell me what I needed to hear, even though I didn't want to hear it. But you were right. And I can't imagine what a mistake that would have been. And I said, you know, praise God. I'm thankful for a, a, a heart that's willing to... But, you know, we, it, the easy thing for me to do is say, well, they'll, she'll figure it out. You know, it's not my life. I don't even have primary responsibility for her. I wasn't even a pastor or anything. I was just a Bible study leader. But we say these things to protect. And and by God's grace, she went on and married this godly guy and serving as a missionary's wife, right? Instead of being led astray down a a path of basically marrying an unbeliever. I mean, this is why we need one another. Because this kind of thing happens all the time. Not just with dating. I mean, just where things captivate, things draw us in, and we have a responsibility as shepherds to protect the flock. Christ's church is committed to deliberate shepherding because the flock thrives when it is protected. There's a certain school of ethics that says virtue is its own reward. In other words, our labor and our exertion is most noble when we don't give any thought to the rewards that come out of it that we're just kind of doing it without any consideration of the blessings that result from it. And that is not a biblical ethic. <laughs> That's not what the Bible portrays is our efforts. The New Testament never shrinks back from talking about the believer's rewards when it comes to obeying and following Christ. It never shies away from rewards. He never leaves, Jesus never leaves pictures unfinished. The sower. Sowing seed, what happens? He reaps the harvest. He sketches workers in a vineyard, and what do we see? Those workers receiving their wages. He gives men talents, meaning physical resources, gold. That's what a talent is. It's a weight of gold. And then he tells us what their fate was. And you can just fill in the gap with all of his examples. Jesus never left unfinished pictures. And when Peter asks Jesus, what will He receive for following Jesus? He's not rebuked for saying the rewards don't matter, Peter. No. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, "Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life." My point is that there is a reward for the deliberate faithful shepherds, and there is a reward for the responsive, faithful sheep. There is a reward. And one of the many rewards promised to us in Scripture is that we would be like Christ. That is one of the rewards. As the faithful shepherd knows, leads, feeds, and protects the sheep, Both shepherd and sheep begin to look more, hopefully over time, more and more like the chief shepherd, God himself. Both are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. It's been said that character forms itself in the streams of the world. I would rephrase that to say, in light of this message, Both the shepherd and the sheep's character forms itself in the streams of church life. And so it's our commitment, and it should be your commitment as well, to place yourself under faithful shepherds and to shepherd and care for one another. That is where our character is refined. I can honestly say God has exposed more sin in my heart, in my shepherding <laughs> others, than he ever would have if I had done nothing. And so not only do we have the privilege of leading and feeding and protecting the sheep, but you have the privilege of refining and sharpening and helping us be more like Christ as well. And so it's, it's mutual. We need each other. I need you, you need me, and son, and whoever else God would call to lead and shepherd this flock. We need each other. And if we are committed to that model and that pattern, I believe God's church will grow and it will thrive. As shepherds, we have our hearts shepherded by the word of God And Christ is formed in us. And we become the kind of church that can prevail against even the gates of hell itself. That's our commitment. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you loved us enough to give us the example of Christ as the chief shepherd. And also to lay a foundation through the apostles and prophets. And their New Testament gospel ministry. And the example of Paul and other men who appointed elders in every church, the the way you want your body to operate, and uh, it's it's different, Lord, than what we're used to. We live in a in a culture in a society that, previ- that where the individual sort of is sovereign. The individual sort of decides, and we we even self govern in our country, and so we're used to voting on everything and sort of directing things from our personal perspective. But yet you call us to submit to faithful shepherds to follow them, and for us as leaders to lead them and feed them and protect. We pray that we would be faithful in that task, Lord. Help us, strengthen us to do that. We pray that your church, your flock here would thrive. You would continue to provide for all of our needs, physical and spiritual. We ask this in Christ's name. That concludes this recording. We hope you have been encouraged by the message you have heard. For more information about the gospel of Jesus Christ, Additional sermon audio or information about Cascades Bible Church. Visit us online at cascadesbiblechurch.com.